0: Thank you for listening to the Abundant Life Sermon Podcast. Abundant Life is based out of Lee Summit, Missouri and has campuses throughout the Kansas City metro area and online. We want to see your life changed by Jesus. For more information about Abundant Life or for locations and service times, visit livingproof.co. Thanks for listening.
1: The day that my brother passed away, it really was the day that I came to life. Ever since I could remember, I knew who Jesus was. I would go on a Sunday and that was really the extent of like Christianity. So it really was more of a religion. When I was in fifth grade, I gave my life to Christ. Um, Cause I remember that was the first time where I felt like I understood the gospel. Fast forward throughout the years, I kind of always saw God as this big scary guy in the sky who was disappointed in me. It started to become more of a relationship as opposed to a religion in college. Um, that was when I you know, thought to myself, okay, I wanna get involved in a ministry. I found a ministry on campus and I started going. I was not walking the walk. And in fact, I was really living as a hypocrite until um, 2019, my, my little brother, he committed suicide. I remember being faced with the decision I either had to give my life to Christ and totally change my life or continue down the path that I was on, which would have definitely led to a lot of just darkness. That day, whenever whenever he passed away, I fully surrendered my life to Christ. I thought to myself, like, things have to change. Since then, I started getting involved with Abundant Life. I joined my first small group. I started going to Paradigm you know, and, and all of these things. And I remember that was the first time really in my life where I started to get to know Jesus started to understand his character and understand that he loves me and that he didn't see me or define me by my sin and by my, my, the mistakes of my past. And, you know, the mistakes I'll continue to make that he saw me as his child. I regained this different sense of identity and purpose in my own life. Fast forward, I'm married to the love of my life and we lead a small group together and we serve in the kids ministry and we've gone through discipleship and we're taking a couple through discipleship now and so all of these things where my priorities in life are so different than what they used to be and things that I involve myself with are completely contrary to who I was before. I remember when I went through D1, actually, for myself, my discipler was just talking to me a lot about baptism. And I remember thinking, okay, um, you know, I've been living as a Christian. Wouldn't it be silly to get baptized now? Like, why didn't I get baptized earlier on? And to be honest, a part of it, I feel like, really was pride for me, thinking that, oh, I don't need to get baptized now. People know I'm a Christian. You know, and it, it really wasn't until I started Reading the Gospels for myself. And if the creator of the universe was baptized in order to just, you know, show us, and and we are to follow him and to show us like a way for us to proclaim to the world, you know, we've given our life to Christ, then who am I to say that I shouldn't? It's time for me to stop living as a hypocrite and to use my life to further his kingdom and just share his love with people around me.
0: So very exciting. Gabby, thank you for sharing your story. She is one of many that getting baptized today all over our campuses at Abundant Life. Aren't you thankful to see Jesus still changes lives? He is still changing lives. He is still changing my life. And if you haven't let him, he'll change yours. I'd like you to open your Bible today to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. That means for some of you, open up your phone. But don't be texting. Don't be emailing. Get on your Bible app, because I can't see what you're reading, but Jesus will. (laughs) Just saying. It can wait. It can wait. Romans 6. I want to talk today specifically about baptism. We're going to take a little time out. We're in between our sermon series. This is Life Change Sunday. We're going to be celebrating communion, or what we call Lord's Supper, uh, at the end of this service. So uh, prepare yourself for that. But for a lot of us here, our next step, like Gabby's, it really is baptism. I wanna talk about why baptism, what is baptism? A lot of you know this, you've walked with Jesus a long time, you've been following the word of God as you follow the Son of God, you've been baptized for years. A lot of us here are new, really, to following Jesus. What is the meaning of all of this? And God, through the Apostle Paul, is now answering that question in Romans chapter 6. What is baptism and what is its meaning? And you've heard me say many times, church, that everything God wants to teach us spiritually, He gives us a picture of something physically. Meaning that which we cannot see, He teaches us through something we can see. Baptism in water is a picture of something spiritually as somebody goes through that water physically. This is what Paul now answers that question. He's talking about this very thing, Romans 6 and verse 1. It says this, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? I want you to notice know he asked the question here. It's a rhetorical question. See, for the first five chapters of the book of Romans, Paul is teaching us that we're saved by grace alone through faith alone. See, it cannot be earned. And I want you to know there's a difference between religion and redemption. Gabby shared this. For many years, she had religion, meaning she knew about Jesus, but she didn't really know Jesus. And that's where a lot of people live. It's what I call churchianity, not true Christianity. See, there is a difference. And she didn't simply know him, she simply knew about him, and religion is built on a list of things you do, hopefully you keep in the right list, and hopefully you keep the complete list, and by keeping that list of things to do, you hope to appease God and get into heaven. But you understand, Jesus didn't come to give us more religion, he came to give us something better called redemption. And redemption is different altogether than religion. See, with religion, you've got to earn your way into heaven. You're hoping somehow to earn God's favor or somehow merit God's love. But you understand, Jesus didn't come just to give us more religion. You don't get to heaven based on anything you do for God. You get to heaven based solely on what God has done for you through Jesus So it's not found in keeping a list and it's really important we understand that because a lot of people see baptism as essential for going to heaven. We're gonna see that we're not saved and we don't get forgiven of our sin and we don't get to go to heaven based on anything we do for God, including baptism. We get to heaven based solely on what the Son of God has done for us. When you place your faith in the Son of God and what He did on the cross and that He died for your sin and that He rose again. When you place your faith in Him God exonerates you of your sin. He forgives your sin. What Jesus called being born again. And that, you see, is an act of grace. What is grace? Grace is God giving us something we do not deserve. Grace is God giving us something that we cannot earn. See, salvation, forgiveness of sin, the chance to go to heaven, it is not built on what we do for God. That would make it a reward. (laughs) Yet Ephesians 2.8.9 says, For by grace are you saved through... And that not of yourself, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. See, salvation is a gift. God gives you an act of his grace that you receive by faith. What's the nature of a gift? If you got to earn it, it's not a gift. It's a reward. And see, salvation is not a reward. It's a gift that God gives you freely. That is the nature of grace, but you receive it by faith. Now, Paul's answering this question. Like, you know, if indeed we receive God's grace and we get to now go to heaven, not based on anything that we do, then why not just continue living in sin? It's a rhetorical question. And it's a really good question. 2,000 years later, a question needs to be answered because we live at a time where a lot of people distort the grace of God and they teach that the grace of God, in essence, is a license to continue living in sin. Let me be very clear. Jesus did not die a bloody, brutal death so that we could continue living in sin. He died a brutal, bloody death to deliver us from sin. Jesus did not come and die a brutal, bloody death so that we could be free to sin, but rather he could set us free from sin. And that's why Paul said, like, this is the ultimate oxymoron. This thing is a paradox. I mean, it's a rhetorical question. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He answers his own question. Certainly not. Everyone say, no way. No way. Jose. Jose. Theologically. By the way, that's in the Hebrew somewhere. Somewhere. Paul's saying, theologically, that's an impossibility. See, you cannot come to faith in the living God. You cannot receive the Son of God and have the Spirit of God now living in you and remain the same. That doesn't mean you won't still struggle with sin. We all struggle with sin. Church, I'm trying to tell you, your pastor, apart from Jesus, is not nearly as good a person as you think he is. I'm telling you, we're all made of the same stuff, which is why we all go through the same stuff. We all struggle with the same stuff. I'm not very good at many things, but one thing I learned a long time ago, I am really good at, I am a good sinner. Man, there was a time in my life, I was perfecting it. It came easy to me, it came natural. Now, let's just be honest, don't sit like, like you're all self-righteous, no, 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 come on now. Let's be real, you know that you're a pretty good sinner too. Yeah. Let's just be honest about it. First John 1 John 1.8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Romans 3 and verse 10, it says, there is none righteous, no, not even one. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That is why we need the grace of God. We cannot earn the merit of God, the favor of God, because all have sinned and fall short of the sinless standard of God. Heaven's standard is perfection. Somebody says, Phil, I'm a pretty good person. This is the problem and. my modern American society, the average American doesn't think they need to be forgiven. Because I'm pretty awesome. Just ask them. Of course God loves me. I mean, a little lovable, huggable me. No, here's the reality. When you begin to see God for who he is, only then can you begin to see yourself for who you are. When you see God for who he is, only then do you get to see you for who you is. And you might be really awesome compared to all the other people you know. You might be really awesome for a human. But compared to God, you're not awesome. Know the reality, God is awesome and we're not. He is holy and we're not. That means he's sinless and we're not, which means we cannot earn favor with God. It doesn't matter if you've sinned a little or you've sinned a lot. Every single person here has fallen short of the glory of God, which is why we all need forgiven. Every single one of us needs the grace that God has given us to get into heaven. Now somebody says, well, if it's all about grace and what Jesus has done for me, then what does it matter? What I do for him. Listen very carefully. It is a theological impossibility when you truly possess Christ, not merely profess Christ, but truly possess Christ, and you ask Him to come into your life. It is impossible that your life will stay the same. See, it's an impossibility. That's what He's asking. He's saying, Look, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. It's an impossibility. This is in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That means if you're still the same person you were, you probably ain't. And today is the day to go beyond religion and discover true redemption. You see, that's not an outward behavior modification. That's an inner transformation when you ask Jesus into your life and you make him the Lord of your life everything will begin to change. He'll begin to set you free, not just from sin's penalty, but sin's power. Now, the next step, after you receive him by faith, Romans five and verse one, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. The next step Jesus taught is baptism. And this is what Paul is now teaching. He's teaching here about spiritual baptism. What happens the moment you receive the Son of God, something happens. You also receive the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God baptizes you spiritually into the body of Christ. Look at what it says here in verse 3. It says, or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. You see, what Paul is teaching, something happens the moment you receive the Son of God. You may not have felt different. You may not have felt a thing. But something happened that you could not see, that God could see. When you put your faith in the Son of God, you are born again now as a child of God. And the Spirit of God now baptizes you spiritually into God's family and like Gabby said he no longer sees your sin he now sees you as a daughter he sees you as a son you're now a member of the kingdom of God and the family of God and what you saw today as these people in this campus and every other campus as they went through water baptism that was a picture now physically of something God did for them spiritually when he baptized them into God's family now listen very carefully sometimes people ask well Pastor Phil Why do you dunk people at Abundant Life? That's a good question. My wife, for example, in her tradition and dominational affiliation of her family of origin, she was sprinkled as a baby. Now, if you were sprinkled as a baby, I'm not saying you're a bad Christian or your mom and dad was a bad Christian, but here's the simple reality. When you study baptism, there's really only one way biblically. Baptize is the Greek word baptizo, and it means to dip, immerse, plunge, or sink Jesus said in Matthew 28:19, "I want you to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit." His first-century followers literally heard him say, "Go you therefore, make disciples of all nations, dunking them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit." That's what they heard, because that's what the word means. Why do we dunk people and put them all the way under the water? Because we learn here from Romans chapter 6 that baptism is a symbol of a burial. It's a symbol of a death. And you can't fully bury somebody by sprinkling dirt on them. you got to put them all the way under. And so what happened when they were going under the water, Romans 6 tells us, they were identifying with the death and burial of Jesus Christ. That what they're saying is, I have died to myself, I have died To my sin, I have died to my past. I've given up rights to my life, and now as they're raised up from the water, what does it mean? It means I've now been resurrected to newness of life. Now I'm going to follow Jesus as a resurrected child of God. The old has passed away; it is buried, and it is a new day. And that's why for some of us, like Gabby, this is your next step. And you hear us use this phrase all the time in Abundant Life. We all have a next step. It's called a walk with God. You can't walk with God if you're not taking your next step with God. And for a lot of us, our next step is, in fact, baptism. And I got to ask you, if indeed you have placed your faith in Jesus, you have received him personally, then why wouldn't you be baptized? Baptism, I've said for many years, y'all, it is like a, it's like a wedding ring. I'm wearing my wedding ring right now. Can you see it? I have worn this ring on this finger for 32 years. 32 years. Now, okay. Yeah, that, that's, that's worth it. Okay. But but how do you think my wife would feel after having been married to her and I refused to wear my ring? Would everybody agree I could take my ring off and I'd still be married, yes? See, this ring on my finger doesn't make me married. It doesn't make me not married. You can wear a ring on your left hand and your finger and not be married. It's just a ring. But you see, this is a symbol, isn't it? It's a symbol. It doesn't make me married, but it's a symbol that I am married. That is why I wear this ring. It's a wedding ring. I wear it because if I didn't, Krista would beat me, Okay. But the other reason I wear it is it's a symbol. It says to a watching world, I have given my life to somebody. Do you understand that baptism is not what makes you a Christian? It is not the source of your salvation. It's not bring God forgiveness, but it is a symbol. It's an outward sign that I have given my life to somebody and this somebody is the Lord Jesus Christ. And see, for a Christian that refuses to get married, it'd be like a married man refusing to wear his ring. Be like a married woman refusing to wear a ring. Like, why don't you want to put the ring on their finger? You know, young adults, sometimes they're dating. And we talk about this sometimes in Paradigm. And our young adult ministry, about once a year, does a, a dating series and how to pursue marriage kind of series. And there's something called like, a, you know, we need to redefine the relationship. Like, where's this relationship going? And Gabby had a moment where she needed to redefine the relationship. It is time for some of us like Gabby to quit dating Jesus. Jesus is not looking for a girlfriend. He's looking for a bride. We are called the bride of Christ. He's looking for somebody to put the ring on their finger and say, I'm gonna follow Jesus without reservation. I'm in, I'm giving my life to him. And for some of us, that's the next step. Gabby and her stories, like so many people I have known that, that was around the church for many years, that knew about Jesus for many years, but never fully knew Jesus, knowing about him is not the same as knowing him. Listen very carefully. It is so easy to spend so much of your life with like one foot in and two feet out. Some of you didn't hear what I just said. I was just seeing if you're listening, all right? Yeah, for some of us, it's like one foot in, one foot out. Like, I don't want to get fully in because, you know, the cost might be too high. So I've got one foot out. Listen carefully you got one foot out, you don't have one foot in. You're either in or you're out, you're either born again or you're not. And so my question today is this, do you have religion or you do have true redemption? Do you think you're gonna get to heaven by keeping a list of things to do? Listen carefully, you'll never get to heaven except through what Jesus has done for you. And when you place your faith in him, that he died for your sin and rose again, it's what Jesus called being born again. You become a child of God, but that's not the end. That's just the starting line. That's not the finish line. The next step is now put the ring on your finger and go through baptism. It's an outward demonstration, a public profession that I have given my life to Jesus, and I'm not ashamed to call Jesus my Savior. I'm not ashamed to call Jesus my Lord. And I'm putting the ring on my finger for everybody to see that I'm a follower now of Jesus. So for some of us here, that's the next step. I want to challenge you to do that. Now, the reality is in churchianity, not Christianity, churchianity, last 2,000 years of church history, so many people have confused the source of our salvation with the symbols of our salvation. See, baptism is merely a symbol of our salvation. It's not the source of our salvation. Communion or the Lord's Supper is very, very similar. There are people now that actually teach that you get to heaven and God forgives your sin and imparts God's grace unto you by taking communion. Listen very carefully. The Bible is very, very clear. Jesus said, I want you to do this to remember me, not to receive me. So it's very easy sometimes. See, religion will always take the shadow of salvation or the symbol of salvation and make it the source of your salvation. So you gotta do this, you gotta do this, you gotta do this, you gotta be baptized to get into heaven, you gotta take communion to get into heaven. And I'm trying to tell you, the moment you add one thing to what Jesus did, you no longer have the grace of God upon your life. You have to now work to get into heaven and appease God. I'm trying to tell you, when you add a list to what Jesus did, it's no longer redemption it's religion no you don't have to go through baptism to get into heaven your sin is washed away not by water but through the blood of jesus christ first john 1 and verse 7 his blood cleanses us of all sin but listen very carefully that is not the end now it's learning to walk with him And communion like baptism is very much a shadow of our salvation, not the substance of our salvation. Like uh, These lights are shining on me right now. I can raise my hand and I can actually see my shadow right here on this platform. On a sunny day, you can see your shadow as you stand in the light of the sun. Now would we all agree that shadow is not the substance? That shadow's not you. That shadow simply is pointing back to you. See, that's baptism, that's communion. It's a shadow, but it's not the substance. That shadow points back to the source. And as you stand in the light of the sun, S-O-N, you cast a shadow that points back to him. You see, that's what communion is. That's what baptism is. It's a shadow that points back to him, the source of our salvation. And today, we're going to take the Lord's Supper as another symbol Is another shadow. And Jesus instituted this on the night before his death as he was taking the Lord's Supper, what we call it today, it was known as the Passover in those ancient days. As he took this supper, the Passover, with his Jewish disciples, his Jewish followers. The symbolism remains to this day. In Exodus chapter 14, God instituted for the Jews the Passover that they were to celebrate once a year. It was the night before God was going to deliver them from slavery in Egyptian tyranny and Egyptian captivity. Do you understand that's a picture of our story? For we are born in slavery to sin and the tyranny of Satan until Jesus sets us free. You see, He has sent us one better than Moses, He has sent us Jesus that sets us free from our captivity and sin slavery. And on that night, they were to take a lamb. It would have become known as the Passover lamb. And they were to shed the blood of that lamb. And God was very specific. I want you to put that blood on the doorposts of your home, not just anywhere on the door, but specifically here, here, and here. This was 1,400 years before Jesus would come. And already God is casting a shadow pointing to the cross. And what we know is that year after year, they'd have to repeat that over and over again. They would have to shed the blood of a lamb and they would have to again put it on the doorposts of their home. Listen very carefully. You see the blood of that bull, the blood of those goats, the blood of those lambs could cover their sin, but it could not cleanse them of their sin. It had to be repeated over and over again and every single year for 1400 years they would take the blood of a lamb and they'd put it on their home symbolically pointing foreshadowing one day there'd be one final lamb and it was Jesus when he himself was going through baptism to publicly proclaim I am the Messiah John the Baptist sees him coming on the Jordan and he immediately connects the dots for us as he looks across the Jordan he sees Jesus coming and he says behold the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world you see he would become our Passover lamb He shed his blood, and when God sees the blood of the Passover lamb, not on the doorposts of our home, but the doorposts of our heart, the death angel passes over, Romans 6, 23, the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, and it is not accidental, it is not coincidental, it was entirely providential that Jesus would die. He would hang up on a brutal, bloody cross at the exact moment, the Passover Passover lambs were being slain all over ancient Israel and on that day the Passover lambs probably by the hundreds were taken into the Jewish temple and the blood of those lambs would run down the altar out of the temple into the Kidron Valley and in that very moment our lamb, the lamb of God was hanging on a cross taking our sin, our shame our blame upon him. In 1 Corinthians 5, the same Apostle Paul that gave us Romans chapter 6 would explain that Christ is our Passover. You see, today we do not have to bring the Passover lamb. We don't have to shed the blood of a lamb because Jesus is that lamb. And that sacrifice was made once and for all, never to be repeated again. And the only thing that remains is for you personally to receive what Jesus did at Calvary when he shed his blood to deliver you from sin's penalty. Have you done that? No, that's not religion. It's not built on what you gotta do for God, hoping to get into heaven. It's built solely on what God has done for you. And if indeed you have done that, then you're welcome at the Lord's table. Again, as we take of these elements, the the cup and the bread, it doesn't impart God's grace to you. It's the blood of Jesus that has done that for you. But it's a symbol of what he's done for you. And kind of like baptism, as we take this communion cup, we are publicly proclaiming, I have received the blood of a lamb. The Apostle Paul would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that as we take communion together, the Lord's Supper, we should take it seriously. It shouldn't be just an empty religious routine. We shouldn't trivialize it. In fact, what he wrote in 1 Corinthians 11 is that we should have a time of introspection, self-examination, personal confession. Lest we eat or drink unworthily, harboring sin in our life, trampling the blood of Jesus Christ. So we have this promise in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us to all unrighteousness. 1 Timothy 2, 5, there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Hebrews 8, 1, he is our high priest that makes intercession for us. So in the quietness of this hour, I encourage you just spend some time alone, just you and him right now. And if God should bring to your mind any any sin, not necessarily that you're struggling with, we all struggle with sin. We all struggle with temptation. But any sin that you know you've willfully hung on to and harbored in your life, just take a moment, confess it. Prepare your heart for the Lord's table.
1: Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure and subscribe
0: and share with a friend. We hope today's message inspired and challenged you. Let's go be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. For more information about Abundant Life, visit livingproof.co or follow us on social media at AbundantLifeLS.